podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Think about it. When God created and designed the intricate universe that he made, he designed it with mankind being naked and unashamed and walking and talking with him on a daily basis. He created us to have a relationship with him. In Genesis 2, verse 23, it says that when Adam first saw Eve, when the Lord made that helper for him, Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And that scripture is paralleled in the New Testament. And in Ephesians 5, 30, it says, we are members of Christ's body, of his bone and of his flesh. All through the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's parallels between our relationship with Jesus and a marriage. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we were created with the purpose of having an intimate relationship with our Father. So how do we express intimacy with God? Well, we're going to look at that today. And if you're writing notes, the title of the message is How to Worship a King. So what brings intimacy between us and God? Intimacy between us and God. We're going to find the answer In the book of Hosea, chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 16. Hosea was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And this is the Lord speaking to Hosea, through Hosea, to his people. Hosea 2, 16. It says, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips, or false gods, and you will never mention them again. On that day I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so that they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine And you will finally know me as Lord. You see, it almost sounds like you're at a wedding and those are wedding vows spoken by a groom to to his bride. That's the way that Father God views you and me. That we collectively are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And he desires to have an intimate relationship with you. So take an inventory tonight of your relationship with God. How intimate are you with your Father? Do you spend time with him? Do you get to know him? Do you know him for who he really is? Do you listen to his voice? And how do you show your affection and your love for him? I want you to turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. It's just a few pages back to the left. And this is going to show us how we can grow our intimate relationship with God. And it's going to say it in an interesting way. Ezekiel, chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 8. Ezekiel 16, verse 8. And when I passed by again, I saw that you were old enough for love. So I wrapped my cloak around you to cover your nakedness and declare my marriage vows. And we see it again right here. The Lord expressing marriage vows to us, his people. I made a covenant with you, says the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Everybody say, I am God's. Verse 9, it says, Then I bathed you and washed off your blood, and I rubbed fragrant oils into your skin. I gave you expensive clothing of fine linen and silk, beautifully embroidered, 
and sandals made of fine goatskin leather. I gave you lovely jewelry, bracelets, beautiful necklaces, a ring for your nose, earrings for your ears, and a lovely crown for your head. And so you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were made of fine linen and costly fabric and were beautifully embroidered. You ate the finest foods, choice flour, honey, and olive oil, and became more beautiful than ever. You looked like a queen, and so you were. Do you see how he's expressing lavish love on us, extravagant love on us, his people? He's adorning us with all of these beautiful things, all of these expensive things. He's expressing his love for his bride. But then look what happens in verse 15. It says, But you thought your fame and beauty were your own. So you gave yourself as a prostitute to every man who came along. Your beauty was theirs for the asking. You used the lovely things I gave you to make shrines for idols where you played the prostitute. Unbelievable. How could such a thing ever happen? You took the very jewels and gold and silver ornaments I had given you and made statues of men and worshipped them. And then he says this statement, this is adultery against me. You used the beautiful embroidered clothes I gave you to dress your idols. Then you used my special oils and my incense to worship them. Imagine it. You set before them a sacrifice of choice, flour, olive oil, and honey I had given you, says the sovereign Lord. So what was the adulterous act? What was it about that encounter that was adultery? And it's very clear that adultery happened in God's eyes when she worshipped another god. So see, in a marriage covenant, when you are intimate with a person that is not your husband or not your wife, that act is considered adultery. But that same act, when done with your spouse, is what consummates your relationship, your marriage. And so let's look at this in the same way. If worshiping another God is adultery against God, then how do we grow in intimacy with our Father? Through worship. Worship is what brings greater intimacy between us and God. Worship connects us to God in a more intimate way than anything else on this earth. And for us to worship anyone or anything else other than God, that's an act of spiritual adultery. See, this verse is a picture of us. And it's a picture of how God views us. See, he's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And oftentimes we use what he's given us to commit spiritual adultery against him. And yes, it's strong language, but it's the language that Father God used. So the definition of worship is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, and devotion. You see, if you are extravagantly devoted to someone or something then there is nothing on this earth that can get you to derail from that devotion to them. And that's the picture that we get with worship. We worship God. We are wholeheartedly devoted to him. We express extravagant respect for him, extravagant honor towards him. There's a man named Reverend Frost, and he wrote this. This is his definition of worship, and I think it's so fitting for us today. It says, worship is the opportunity for busy people. How many of us say at times we get busy? To touch the eternal, for sinners to glimpse the holy. I won't have you raise your hands for that one. For broken people to be enfolded in his perfect love. Worship is moving beyond our self-centered lives to meet the one who created us for something better. 
That's so good. Worship takes our focus off of the things that we're focused on that are earthly, and it puts our focus on God, which is where our focus should be. And today I want to give you what worship is all about. And I want you to walk away from this place tonight knowing what worship is, how to worship the king. And so I'm going to give you four different things that define and describe worship. And we're going to find those four things in the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke is the third gospel, so you get to the New Testament. It's the third book in the New Testament. And we're going to chapter 10. We're going to find here, Jesus was often tested by by the Pharisees because they were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him to say something stupid that they could use against him to have him arrested or killed. And this is one of those encounters. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 27, the Lord's talking to this Pharisee, this religious ruler, and he asks him, he says, what is the greatest commandment? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. That is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Jesus himself said that it was in the book of Matthew, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And from those four things that we're commanded to love wholeheartedly, we're going to derive a definition and a a method for worship. Because I think we could very easily replace the word love with the word worship to express extravagant devotion, extravagant honor, extravagant respect. So today we're going to say we're going to worship the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. So the first thing that worship is all about then is the position of your heart. Worship is all about the position of your heart. Just like this verse says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Greek word that was used when the original writer wrote this book was the word cardia. The word cardia means the fountain and the seat of your thoughts, your passions, your desires, your appetites, your affections, your purposes, and your endeavors. So I have some questions that will help us locate ourselves today. What do you stay up at night thinking about? What are you passionate about? What drives you? What do you hunger for? What can you not live without? Who or what has your affection? What do you consider to be your purpose on this earth? What do you spend your time doing? See, these questions will identify the position of our heart because our heart is defined as all of those things. Our drive, our attention, our affection, our appetites, our thoughts, and our endeavors, the things that we do, those are And those locate the position of our heart. So what's the position of your heart towards God? And that's a hard question to answer. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings towards God? Do you view God as an angry God who's always punishing you? Do you view God as someone who took something from you? Or who withheld something from you that you asked him for and he didn't give it to you? Do you view God like this giant bully in the sky with his thumbprint always on you trying to make sure that you're not happy in life? Because some people do have those views of God. See, the way that we get a true view of God, there's only one way, and that's through this book. This is who God is. 
Everything in here is true. And if you want to know who God is and you want to know what he does and you want to know how he feels about you, then this is where you find those answers. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 103. Psalms is in the exact middle of the Bible. In chapter 103. We're going to start in verse 1 once you get there. See, the the reason I'm talking about knowing God is because you can only worship God for who you know him to be. So here's an illustration of that. Let's say that I really love golfing, and I get married to my wife, and she also loves golfing, but we never talk about that. We never reveal to each other that we like golfing, and so I never, never know that she really loves golfing. I don't know that she can golf. I don't know anything about that because we've never talked about it. And so can I praise her for being a great golfer? No. Can I spend time with her as we golf together? No. Because I don't know who she truly is. And it's the same way with God. How can you worship God for being a good father if you don't know that he's a good father? And how can you worship God for being giving and loving and true and dependable and faithful if you don't know that he is those things? And the answer is that you can't. You can only worship God for who you who you know him to be. So that's why we have to get in the word. Look at the book of Psalm verse 103, or chapter 103, verse 1. This is one of the most beautiful pictures of God that I can find in scripture. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. This is David talking. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse you nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our sins like we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heaven is above the earth. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. That's who God is. And verses like this cover this book from front to back. If you want to know who God truly is, and if you want to change the position of your heart towards him, you got to look through the Bible. And when you do, you will find out that he is good and that he is loving and that he's merciful and kind and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so if your view of God is that he's angry with you, you're wrong. If your view of God is that he's withholding something from you to punish you, you're wrong. You have a wrong view of God and therefore you can't worship him appropriately. So get the position of your heart in the right place, and you do that through the word. So the position of our heart, that's what worship is all about. The second thing, Luke 10, 27 said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The next thing it said is with all your soul. And so the second thing that worship is all about is the connection of your spirit to the spirit of God. Worship is all about the connection of my spirit to the spirit of God. The Greek word used in that verse for the word soul brings new definition and new life to what this word means. So that word means breath of life or living being. 
In Genesis chapter 2, when God is creating the universe, everything that he created, the trees, the land, the air, the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the birds, the fish, everything that he created, he spoke and it existed. Everything except mankind, me and you. For when he created us, he formed us with his hands out of the dust of the ground. See, God's hand is on you whether you realize it or not. And the second thing that he did after he formed us from the dust of the ground is that he breathed his breath into us. And that word, breath, literally translated is neshama. And neshama means the breath of God or the spirit of God. And it also means the breath of man. Because the same breath that exists in God, when he breathed that breath of life into Adam's nostrils, that breath now exists in us. Our breath is God's breath. Our spirit is God's spirit. And he has placed the breath of life and the spirit of God on the inside of you. And the way that we worship God is when our spirit connects with his spirit. And the way that we build greater intimacy with God is through a greater connection of our spirits. Turn to the book of John chapter 4. Y'all made me cough. Book of John chapter 4. This is a verse that gets quoted a lot when you're talking about worship. And for me it's always been confusing. But when I read this verse and looked at the Greek words and the Hebrew words that talked about God putting his spirit on the inside of us, it made more sense to me. John 4, verse 23. Jesus says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. What way was it? In spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So we already talked about what it means to worship in truth. You can only worship God for the way that you view him, the way that you know him. And so you've got to know God as he truly is in order to worship him in truth. But how do we worship him in spirit? How how do we connect with a spiritual being but without our spirit? See, God put his breath into us, which was his spirit, And now our spirits connect with his spirit. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit came in the fullness at Pentecost. And now the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. And it's only through our spirit connecting with God's spirit that we can worship him. That's what worship is all about, the connecting of our spirit to the spirit of God. And when our spirits connect, things begin to change. You've heard the song, Raise a Hallelujah. And I love the part in that song that says, I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. See, we come in confused, broken down by life. Maybe you're in need of healing. Maybe you're in need of financial miracle. Maybe your marriage is is in shambles. Maybe you don't know how to parent your kids well. Whatever is going on in your life, when you come into a worship setting and you set your attention on God and you let your spirit connect with his spirit, the things begin to shift things begin to change. So the first thing we do is we worship God and it's all about the position of our heart. The second thing, it's all about connecting or the connection of our spirit to the spirit of God. And the third thing that worship is all about is the posture of our body. 
See, the Bible says in Luke 10, 27, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And that's talking about your physical strength. Pastor Stormy calls this thing the earth suit. So our earth suit is part of how we worship God. And I want to show you exactly how you can worship God with your body. And so if you will turn your attention to the screen, this will teach you. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship. Some people more subtle. And it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. <laughs> totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. We've got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking, start slow, hands in the pockets, a little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. There's your big <laughs> So there you go. Now you know how to raise your hands in church. Now, that's funny, but in all seriousness, I want to show you biblically, I want to show you what the Bible says about the posture of our body in worship. So the way that we express ourselves in worship through our body is biblical, okay? You see some people expressing themselves in lots of different ways. Sometimes you see people jumping around, and sometimes you see people, and they're dancing. Sometimes you see people with their hands up. And everybody's different, but I want to show you today that all of us, in some way, should worship with the posture of our body. So I want to show you the different ways. First of all, lifting your hands. I'm going to read, I'm going to go rapid fire on some different scriptures, and I'm just going to read a bunch of them to you. There's hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about raising your hands, but here's a few. Psalm 63, it says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134 says, lift up your hands to the holy place 
and bless the Lord. Lamentations 3 says, let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. In Nehemiah 8, it says, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In Psalm 143, it says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And in Psalm 88, it says, my eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. You see, when my son, who's a year and a half old, when he wants to show me love, and when he wants me to show him love, he runs at me with his short little legs and his arms straight up in the air like this, yelling, dad, 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 right? Well, what does he want? He wants me to pick him up, and he wants me to hold him tight, and he wants to lay his head on my shoulder, and he wants to feel the expressed love of his father. And that's what happens when we lift our hands in worship. We are feeling and expressing the love of God, and we're giving God our love. See, there's nothing, as a father, there's nothing that makes me happier than to see my little son run at me with his arms up in the air because he wants me. And that's exactly what happens when we lift our hands. We're allowing the Lord to show his love to us. You see, it's the exact opposite, and there's times, she's not always like this, but sometimes my daughter gets a little grumpy. Anybody have grumpy children? Sometimes. Not all the time, sometimes. And so that body language, again, you come in the house, and maybe she's got her arms folded like this, and she's got that little scowl on her face, you can tell, and then you run, you're like, Ellie, I'm so happy to see you, and she turns her back to you. See, it's the exact opposite. Her body language says, right now, I don't want to have anything to do with you, right? And us, for us, our body language in worship is so important. Your body language reveals the position of your heart. Your body language outwardly expresses inward realities. So the next one is that we can bow down. These are scriptures about bowing down in worship. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In Philippians 2, it says, So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I don't think that could be any more clear, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And then in Ephesians 4, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And in Psalm 5, it says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house I will bow down towards your holy temple in fear of you. Another way that we can express ourselves outwardly in worship is by clapping our hands. Now, some people are great at clapping, and you can do all the crazy rhythms in between the ones the worship team's doing, and you're golden. Some people are like our beloved pastor, and clapping is a struggle and a handicap for him. But he's good. He looks at the worship team, he locks in with them, and he's okay after that. You see, Pastor absolutely knows that he's a terrible clapper, that he has no rhythm at all. He'll tell anybody that. But it's all about expressing yourself in worship. It's not about how good at clapping you are. It's not about how good at dancing you are. It's not about how good at lifting your hands you are. Or it's not about how you look when you lift up your hands. It's about the posture of your body in worship. So the scriptures say these things about clapping your hands. In Psalm 47, it says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And then in Psalm 98, it says, Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Another way that we express ourselves in worship is to dance. The Bible talks extensively about how David danced before the Lord. 
Now, I'm not talking about doing the Macarena. I'm certainly not talking about some of the dances that teenagers can do nowadays. That's not it. I'm talking about dancing before the Lord. Dancing for joy because of all that he's done for you. You know, there's, there's a natural expression when exciting things happen. Think about at a sports event, a football game or a basketball game. And the natural reaction when something great happens is for everybody in the crowd to stand up and cheer. And there's a natural reaction when Jesus brings joy and healing to what's been broken before. And one of those reactions is to dance. Psalm 149 says, Let them praise his name with dancing, making melodies to him with tambourine and lyre. In 2 Samuel 6, it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. I want to do that someday. In Psalm 150, it says, Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. See, David even was dancing before the Lord one time. And his wife got embarrassed about it. And when he, was, when he came back to the house, she called him out on it. And she said, How dare the king make a fool of himself like that? And he looked at her and he said, I'll become even more undignified than this. See, his heart was, I'm going to worship God. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care who's watching. I don't even care what you think. I'm dancing for joy before my God. And the last physical expression or the posture of our body is to sing. Now, a lot of us, when the worship team is singing up here, they're singing their hearts out, you kind of just let them do all the work, and you're one of those silent singers. And again, maybe you're like Pastor Stormy, and you struggle slightly with singing. But he'll tell you. The Bible says make a joyful noise. And all of us should sing. Look at these scriptures. In Psalm 100, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. In Colossians 3, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. In Psalm 147, it says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. In Psalm 104, it says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. In Psalm 13, it says, I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In Psalm 105, it says, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. See, it's clear, and I didn't even read all of them. There are so many scriptures that tell us as the people of God to sing, to sing for joy. It doesn't have to be good. You don't have to be a fantastic singer. You don't have to be able to sing at all. But my challenge to you is in a worship setting to posture your body in a place that's worshipful to God. Because whether we like it or not, worship is about the posture of our body. And if you look all through the Psalms, you'll see David posturing himself to worship God. Now again, I'm not asking you to go crazy. You know, some people, there's people that go over the top with this, and maybe you know some. There's some that they, they kind of look like the, uh, you know, at the car lot when they have a the little guy that's doing the thing. It's not what I'm asking. But what I'm asking is, if you've never raised your hands in worship before, then ra- raise a hand. If you've never danced before the Lord, then dance for joy in his presence. If you've never clapped your hands in worship, then clap your hands. If you've never bowed on your knees before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then get on your knees before him. Because worship is all about the position of your heart. It's all about the connection of your spirit to the spirit of God. And it's about the posture of your body. 
The last thing that worship is about is probably the hardest one of all. Worship is all about the attention of your thoughts. The last part of Luke 10, 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. In worship settings, when we're in here together on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights, I don't know about you, but there's often times where my mind has a real tendency to wonder. And I start to think about all the things I have to do, and I start to think about all the people that I need to talk to, and I start to think about the emails I haven't answered, and I start to think about how my kids are doing and what I'm going to eat for lunch that day. And my mind starts to wonder when I'm in the presence of the living God. See, worship is all about the attention of our thoughts. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody and you're like really excited to tell them something and so you, you get home and maybe it's your spouse or one of your kids. You're so excited and you're like, I've got to tell you about this. This amazing thing happens. And they're like, oh, tell me. And then you start telling the story and all of a sudden they're like way over here and they start to wash the dishes and you're like, no, I wanted to tell you something. And their mind is completely not on you. Anybody have those friends where they ask you a question and then for some reason they can't stick around mentally for the answer? If you're one of those people, don't confess. It's okay. We'll pray for you after service. But I, I have friends that they'll, they'll say, hey, how was your day? And I'm like, oh, man, it was good. You wouldn't believe what happened. And before I know it, they're like over here looking up in the sky and turned around. Then they get their phone out and they start, like, you asked me how my day was. You didn't even listen for the answer. See, all of us know people like that, and it's so frustrating, but how many of us are like that in the presence of God? See, there are things that God wants to tell you. There are things that he's excited to get on the inside of you when you come into a worship setting. And when, and when we come and he's excited to tell us, our, our thoughts and our attention goes elsewhere. And we start to think about everything besides being in the presence of the living God. See, we express to God that we're desperate for him. And we pray throughout the week, God, help me in this financial situation. Help me in my marriage. Help me with my kids. And then we come into his presence in the corporate setting like this, and we don't even listen for what he has to say to us. And it's human nature. And it happens to all of us. And it happens to me all the time. But my challenge today is that you would focus on where your thoughts are at when you're worshiping. Are there those songs that you know so, so well, and we've sang them so many times, that you don't even have to think about the words anymore. They just like flow out of you as we're singing them. And you can think about something completely way off in left field while you're singing that song. For me, the song Reckless Love is like that. That's a great song. And the, the biblical truth in there is incredible, that God loves us so much that he leaves the 99 in search of the one. And when I first started singing that song, it, like, it brought me to tears, and I'm just... This is great. And now when we sing it, I'm like, oh, the, oh, because I, I, I'm so familiar with it. Keep your attention on God. Keep your attention on the biblical truth that's being sung in these songs. That's one of the reasons why we put the lyrics up on the screen so that you can see what those words are saying. A lot of the songs that we're singing have scripture written into the songs. You know the song, Who You Say I Am? It says, Who the Son Sets Free is Free Indeed. That's scripture. The song, No Longer Slaves, it says, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. That is taken directly from scripture. And all of the songs that we sing, they're based on biblical truth, and so when you sing them, it's building you up on the inside, and you're getting a more true picture of who God is so that you can worship him in spirit and in truth. 
But we've got to focus our attention on him and focus our thoughts. The reason why we only sang one song today and we normally do more than that is because I thought how silly it would be if I taught us all what worship was all about and then said, make sure you come back Sunday and test it out. (laughs) And so if I could have the worship team come back up, I'm going to give you an opportunity to worship. And I think that there's reasons why some of us have a, a hard time entering in to worship. We come here in this building, and we're here. But either the position of our heart is not in a place where we can give everything to God. Maybe our spirits aren't connecting with him. Maybe the posture of our body says something other than, God, I want you, I need you, please hold me. Or maybe it's our thoughts, and our thoughts are wandering to all the different things that we have to do. And we don't enter into worship. And I believe that sometimes we refrain from entering in truly to the presence of God because we don't know him like we should. And if you don't know him, you can't worship him. Maybe it's because we feel like the things that we've done, the sins that we've committed, maybe it's because of the things that we did on our way to church tonight. We feel like those things made us unclean or unworthy to be in the presence of God. Maybe you just don't know how to worship until tonight. And now you've been taught, so you don't have an excuse anymore. I want you to look one more scripture in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, as they begin to play. Ezekiel, chapter 36. And this is such a beautiful picture of the Lord's redemption over us. It doesn't matter how you've worshiped in the past. What matters is that now you know, and today you have an opportunity to worship in spirit and in truth. Ezekiel 36, chapter 24. And God says to his people, for I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart And I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior I will give you good crops of grain and I will send no more famines in your land. I will give you great harvest from your fruit trees and fields and never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at your land for its famines. So with the time that we have left, we're just gonna worship. And I challenge you to worship however you feel in your heart that you should worship. But if you've never raised your hands in worship before, What better time to start than today? If you've never bowed down in the presence of God, what better time to start than today? This is a safe place for you. So don't be concerned about the people next to you and what they're thinking. Don't be concerned. Don't let your mind wander to the things that you have to do later, the things that you have to do tomorrow. Let's take 10 minutes in the presence of God. Position our hearts to worship Him and let our spirit connect with His. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlebeck.com.